Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. This week is a great time to reflect upon a really important topic, building the house of the Lord. We're in a great season of focus. We're looking in the scriptures at the, the building of the tabernacle, the mishkan, the, the, the temple, and even the heavenly temple are topics that we see. And we're in a great season of opportunity as we think about the house of the Lord. It's a, it's a time of great opportunity to see many people come to the Lord. People who you love and people who you care about you will be able to share the good news with them. And as you take opportunity, God is going to give you the joy of leading people to the Lord. It's a time of opportunity to build up the house of God, to build up the people of God spiritually. As a community, as many people are returning to the Lord and becoming disciples of Messiah, Yeshua, it's a time to... Build up the house of the Lord, the community of faith, the people of God, the Messianic synagogue in particular. This is, this is a new season in the world, really, where Messianic synagogues are growing and thriving like they did in the first generation. They are reappearing as people get vision for Messianic synagogues. And we understand that the synagogue is a gathering place and a place of discipleship. It's a, it's a home place. It's a place for the Messianic community. Think about how many times the children of Israel were called to build the house of the Lord, to dedicate their first efforts to the house of the Lord. When, when they went out of Egypt and they gathered at Sinai and they were constituted together under the authority of God's Torah and uh, outpouring of God's holiness upon the nation. They were also told to take up a Teruma offering, that special offering from the top, to bring the very best that they had in order to uh, fabricate in the most excellent and artistic ways all of the items that were necessary for the tabernacle. But then again, later, when they move into the promised land and they're in Jerusalem, it's time to build the temple of God. Even David had a desire, King David had a desire to build the temple. But because he was a man of war who had shed blood, he was not allowed to build the temple, but he had to take the vision he had and the passion he had and he had to communicate it to his son Solomon who did build the temple. And then there was a time when Israel was brought back after dispersion and people were given the assignment. It was a very specific assignment. Rebuild the house of God. Rebuild the temple. And then after Yeshua died, it was not long within less than 40 years that the temple was destroyed and yet, there was a revelation of a new work of God, which we want to talk about, that the presence, if you will, of a messianic temple on the face of the earth. The rebuilding of the nation of Israel under Messiah is essential 
all of, all of Israel is waiting for the revelation of Messiah. Even those who don't know they're waiting are waiting. And even those who, are, who may not be happy with the way that God does it are waiting. You know, there are times when God answers prayer, when he moves in powerful ways, but he still moves under his own sovereignty, not under our authority. He's still the king of kings. So the way you figure things out and the way you pray may be partly right. And they may inspire you, but they don't limit God. So when generations before us have been praying, God, send Messiah to us, to our children, to our children's children, and send him quickly. And then when God poured out the revelation of Yeshua to so many Jewish people in this century, in our lifetime, in, from, from a time that could be marked pivotally as 1967, I'll just use that as a date because in 1967, Jerusalem was reunited and there was an outpouring of revelation about Messiah upon the Jewish people all over the world. And there was a modern manifestation of the Messianic movement. There had been earlier generations in the 1800s and the early 1900s who had received that revelation. But this one was was unique in a sense because it was concurrent with the existence of the new state of Israel. With the Jewish people being regathered into the land and regathered to Messiah. Powerful and different. But during this time, so many people had been praying, send Messiah. So many of our grandfathers and great-grandfathers had been praying. In fact, in almost every synagogue, in every synagogue that uses the traditional prayers found in the Siddur, the traditional prayers that are part of rabbinic Judaism, there are prayers for the coming of Messiah. And do you know what God does with those prayers? He answers them. Now when he answers them, it may not be in a way that's pleasing to the person who prayed. Have you ever gotten what you asked for, but it wasn't the way you asked or had in mind? Well, even prayers about Messiah can be like that because God does things the way that he sees fit and the way that he knows to do them. And so you and I, everyone who, who was born Jewish and everyone born from other nations joined to the Jewish people, we are an answer to the prayer, send Messiah. How does Messiah come? He comes partly by revelation and he comes partly through his body. Messiah is the head. And he does not want to be a head without a body. You all know about the headless horseman. Well, turn it upside down. A headless horseman is a scary thing. In the same way, a head without a body is not complete. Am I right? Yeshua is the head we are called to be the body. We are called to be a manifestation of his life. Now, if you are thinking that you're a special part of the body, you are. You're an important part of the body, but no one part of the body can accomplish the purposes of the body by itself. That's why the metaphor is of a body. 
Now imagine an eye. Paul uses this picture. Imagine an eye by itself. And think about that. Can it see? It cannot see. Imagine a hand even or, or one finger. Can it do anything? No. It, every part has to be connected to the whole in order to accomplish anything. Because we are an organic system, if you will, that requires every part together. Now what if you have all the parts, but you have no blood? What condition would you call that? Dead, that's correct. Okay, let's say you have all the parts, but, but no breath. What condition are you in? You're still dead, that's right, or dead again. Every part has to work together. So even an eye, which might think, you know, I see all, can't see anything by itself. No part by itself can accomplish anything by itself. Now, this idea has incredible ramifications when you understand that's what the Lord is trying to tell us about ourselves. By ourselves, we are as good as dead. We are useless just by ourselves. We only take on uh, fruitfulness. We only have life when we're joined together with the rest of the body that has life. Separated, we have nothing. Together, we can do anything that we're called to do. We can accomplish our functions. Peter was called to be apostle to Jewish people. Paul was apostle to Gentiles. Both of them ministered to the other groups as well. Paul went to synagogue every Shabbat because it was his custom. As well, he had a heart for his people and he taught the nations they needed to have a heart for the Jewish people as well. Peter was called to be an apostle to the, Gen- to the Jews, but he was the first one who went to the Gentiles with the good news and was used by God to bring non-Jewish believers into the house of God. But both of them, despite their different callings, had a, had a common understanding about that the revelation of Messiah and the house of God under Messiah. Peter describes this in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. And he says, as you come to Messiah, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen and precious in God's sight, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. You are like living stones. So if you're sitting next to someone who, who you really care for, smile at them and take an assessment. What kind of stone are they? Are they a living stone? And it's actually a compliment, you're a living stone. My dear wife, you're a living stone. You are alive. And you're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Messiah, Yeshua. Because it stands in scripture, see I lay in Zion a stone, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who believes in him, not in it, in him, will never be put to shame. So Yeshua is a living stone. 
And then he has made everyone who puts their trust in him to be a living stone too. And we are to be alive to God. And this has two dimensions. One is individually we need to be alive to God. And how how are we alive to him? Through our repentance, our returning to God. Through our confession of sin, our turning away from sin. Through our faith and trusting in the Lord. Through our receiving forgiveness and the atoning sacrifice that we need that, that takes away the penalty of sin. Then God pours out his Holy Spirit upon us and we become living stones. We become alive because each one of us has turned to the Lord. We've turned from sin and death to life and peace with God. And we receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in us makes us living stones. So smile at that person next to you and say, you're a pretty good living stone. (laughs) Pretty good living stone. But you are not meant to exist as a stone in isolation. You are to be built together. This is very important. It's especially important here in America. Having lived overseas, I could see that not all cultures are as independent as Americans are. We have our Declaration of Independence but once I was, I was playing with Messianic rabbis in America and I said, please rise for the Declaration of Independence and the Pledge of Independence. And people were like, okay, well, I'm not sure what to do. But they all got up. I said, we don't have a Pledge of Independence, but it's like we live under it. <laughs> Americans have great initiative and we have a great willingness to... Uh, to do things with rugged individualism, but that also produces a weakness, which is we think we can exist on our own. And, and we can't. And when that thinking is transferred into the body of Messiah, it corrupts the understanding of the body of Messiah. And it, it, it changes even the way the gospel is presented. It's presented entirely in terms of individualistic life rather than life together. But the apostles didn't think that way and neither should we. And this is why Peter says, you in the plural also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. When you're joined together, then the second dimension of being a living stone comes together. We make a house together that can be a place for God's dwelling, a place for his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit in you, his Holy Spirit in us together. And you make that place by being joined together, by serving together, by worshiping together, by uh, assembling together, by being part of the body of Messiah. And it's a mistake to try to do this all by yourself. Now, of course, it's important to live for God as an individual. But to try to exist for God only as an individual, this is a corruption of thinking. It's not correct biblical thinking. We have to learn to be built together. Like living stones being built into a spiritual house in order to be a holy priesthood. 
And the purpose of a priesthood is to minister to other people who otherwise would not come to the Lord and have intimacy with the Lord because of their sin, because of their transgression, because of their iniquity, because of their sense of alienation, because of their experience of guilt, because of their shame, or because of their just being off by themselves. The priesthood helps them come together and get right with God and then be right with God. Offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Messiah Yeshua. And it stands in scripture, I lay in Zion a stone, a chosen and precious cornerstone. When you think of cornerstone, there are two ways of understanding it. One is that it's a foundation stone. It's laid first and it's the foundation upon which the whole house is built and that's a correct understanding. And the other way, which is also correct, is that it's the cornerstone. It marks the corner so that you can build plumb as you go up and you can build square as you go horizontally so that you can build a true house together. And Yeshua is also that cornerstone. He's the foundation stone and he's the cornerstone. And the scripture says, God lays in Zion such a stone. And it's a chosen and precious stone The one who believes in him will never be put to shame. However, this cornerstone experiences rejection. And this cornerstone, Yeshua says, no disciple will be different from his master. When he's mature, when she's mature, they will be like the one who trained them. And Yeshua says, As I was rejected, guess what? You also will be rejected. Now, if you go into shock about rejection, good luck. Because you can't stay in that condition. You can't live in that condition. It's an abnormal condition to be in shock. You have to get over that. You you cannot allow yourself to be ruled by rejection or to think it's strange or to think that it should rob you of all your motivations. Oh, people don't accept me. So what? Keep going. Can you imagine if Yeshua said, well, I I don't really want to do this messianic stuff. I don't want to be Messiah, because he gets rejected. No. To be messianic means to be like Messiah and dedicated to Messiah. And under the authority of his ministry and teaching, and he said, you will be rejected, so get over it. Now, it can hurt. How many can confirm rejection can hurt? It can be awkward. It can last for a long time when it shouldn't have to. It can hurt relationships. It can break relationships. Am I right? But it doesn't have to ruin you. It doesn't have to distort your motivation for life. You just keep going and the life in you overcomes the rejection. The one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Now let's look at what Paul had to say, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 through 22. He's writing to the Ephesians, the Ephesians who are not Jewish, and he's trying to explain some things to them, that though they were outside of the covenant, they had no hope, they had no promise, they were just out there. 
God has shown his mercy and he's opened his arms wide and through Messiah made a way for all the nations, including the Ephesians, to come to the God of Israel, the one true God, and to come and to be part of the commonwealth of Israel, to be joined together with God and with the people of God. And then he tells them some of the implications. Verse 20, Messiah Yeshua himself is the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is fitted together. Say these two words with me. In him. In him. In him. I love what Rabbi Yuri shared at the very beginning of the service. He was talking about the importance of being built up together, the importance of gathering together, and we gather together for him. We gather together to make a place for him. For him. It's not for us, it's for him. It's because we love him and we want him to have a dwelling place in our midst. In him, the whole building is fitted together. What unites us? Him. You know, you can go to different Messianic congregations, you'll find some commonality and you'll find some real differences between them. You can talk to different members of our own congregation, you'll find common thinking and then you'll find people with, you know, who are way outside on the bell curve of thinking. But what unites us? Him. We come together because of him who we recognize him to be and who we see that we ourselves are because of him. In him, the whole building. That's another key phrase. Say that with me. The whole building is fitted together. The whole building comes together because of him. Not because of us. That's why the scripture says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house. If it were not for the Lord building up the house, our labor would be in vain. In him the whole building is fitted together. Now this is, this is a reference to how the temple in Jerusalem was built. The quarry stones were cut and then they were cut somewhere and then they were moved in place already cut and dressed. And they were fitted together. The work of preparation was done and then they were fitted together, but they had to be fitted together. God does not have in mind that you would be a quarry stone for all your life. You look to the quarry from which you were hewn, but you are not to remain in the quarry. And I notice that in, in, in the world today, many people are really tempted to be a stone off by itself. To be a stone that can't be hurt by other people who will betray you. That can't be misled by other people who will teach you wrong and so forth. And then you end up with a block. And the head of the block is the block. Not the Lord. Because it's not part of the body. And so it is a blockhead. Right? It's just, there's no life in this. There's apparent safety, but there's no life in that. Only in him the whole building can be fitted together, and then it grows into a holy temple in the Lord. It grows. Now this is where it's transformative. You go from being a living stone 
to being a community that's alive together and can grow. In him, you too are being built together into a dwelling place for God in his spirit. You too, whether you're Jewish or not Jewish, in him you also are being built together. Smile at that person next to you and say, together, together, together. We're being built together. We're being built together. You know what that means? You need the person next to you. They need you. We need one another to be built together. To become a dwelling place for God in his spirit. Now this is part of the messianic vision that I want you to get a hold of. The messianic vision is not about rebuilding the Jerusalem temple. It's about becoming the temple of God under Messiah, being alive so that we have the experience together and are ready for the heavenly temple one day. This experience is preparatory and it is essential. Don't try to imagine that you can survive the glory of the heavenly temple without this experience. You need this experience together. You need this experience together in order to be able to survive in in the atmosphere of the heavenly temple, the spiritual atmosphere. This is how God prepares living stones and transforms people from being stones to living stones and turns us into living creations together where not only as individuals are we filled with the Holy Spirit, but together we're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the goal. In this week's Torah portion, we read about the great willingness of the people to participate in the building of the house of the Lord. The Lord wanted a house, and he said, build for me a house that I may dwell among you. And you can build a physical house, and we have, but that physical house is supposed to be a place that's inhabited by living stones who invite God here. So when you come in, you're supposed to come in full, not empty. If you are empty, come anyway and get refilled, but don't make it your normal condition that you come empty. Make it your normal condition that you come having had fellowship with the Lord, having been serving the Lord, having been living the life of faith together with others, so that when you come together, we can fortify ourselves together. We can be built together and welcome the Holy Spirit. The people were generous because they wanted God to have a dwelling place in their midst. Let's look at Exodus 35 from this week's Torah portion, verse 4. Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, this is the thing which the Lord commanded. Take from among you a terumah offering, that special offering for the building of the, of the tabernacle and sanctuary, uh, where you take the best off the top. Take that terumah offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as a terumah offering to the Lord. And then you can see the list in the next few verses, all the details. The design scheme, the color scheme. Then verse 10, all who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. That's interesting. Everyone who had gifted artisanry was to join in. Now what about the schlock artists? What were they to do? (laughs) Yeah, they can watch. 
They can learn, but they can't do the work. Verse 21. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred, and everyone whose spirit was willing. And they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service, and for the holy garments. Do you see how the community of faith is at work in, in, in this passage? They came, both men and women, as many as had a willing heart, and they brought earrings and nose rings and rings and necklaces, all jewelry of gold, that is. Everyone who made an offering of gold to the Lord... Then down to verse 25, all the women who were gifted artisans. Say that with me. All the women who were gifted artisans. Verse 26 says, and all the women whose hearts stirred with wisdom. You see, this was a time for everyone whose heart was stirred, everyone whose spirit was willing. Men and women together, it was a community effort. And that even inspires us about our own eggs. They should be a community effort, right? Skillfully done. But everyone should do it together and everyone should learn together how to do things well. Exodus 36, verses 6 and 7. So Moses gave a commandment and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp saying, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing the material they had was for bringing any more material because what they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, they had too much. We're not yet there. <laughs> Sandy and I were contemplating these passages and she was recounting very specific details because, you know, she makes notes. She's got journals that go back years. And, and she can look and tell me an exact date when something happened. It's really awesome. Me, I'm one of those people who says, somewhere it's written. <laughs> but Sandy shared some notes with me about uh, our experience more than 10 years ago, the scripture from Exodus 25, verse 8, came alive to us. Let them make for me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And because of that revelation, we began to look for a new sanctuary and dwelling place for Beth Israel. And we could see the vision that the Holy Spirit was giving us uh, for, for a sanctuary, for classrooms, space for hospitality and onegs, and trees. We didn't have any trees where we were. We, we had a wonderful place for that time and season. We had no windows. We had no trees. We had no light, natural light in our sanctuary um, for outdoor areas and grassy places and water. And several of us looked at a, about a hundred different places over the span of five years, starting in 2006. In 2007, 13 of us went to Budapest, Hungary, and then we went to several locations in the Netherlands to be inspired uh, for the vision that God had for the kind of place that he had in mind for us. We came back to Jacksonville, we kept looking, and it was three years later, December 2010, when we thought we had seen everything. You remember, Sandy, we, we were at like the last place. It's, it, it was the kind of situation I remember like this. Okay, now, pick from among these the least worst. And it wasn't motivating to us. And Sandy, to her credit, didn't accept that false choice. If you think you have to only choose between 
option A and option B in life, if you think everything is binary or you've got to make a decision no matter what, there are moments when God will speak to you and say, none of those. There's something else. And that's what happened for her. And, and then we were all the beneficiaries of it. We thought we'd seen everything, but we ended up coming to this place which had been set aside for us. And it, it took us a couple of years to negotiate all the terms of the contract and, and uh, the design and then months renovating the first three buildings, these buildings that are joined together. And over the years, there have been many Taruma offerings, many free will offerings, and we were able to pay for a significant part of the renovations and the furnishings with those funds. But a project like this uh, is really big in scale and time, and, and we continue to need free will offerings from everyone whose hearts were stirred. And some people were able to give large sums, and others gave widows' mites, and God added it all up together, and we've been able to accomplish so much. On February 24th and 25th, 2012, we held the first two services in this sanctuary. And it was a miracle. It was a joyous time. And despite the giving, we didn't have all the funds necessary to finish the work and furnish everything and to complete the work next door. And during the next five years, 2012 to 17, many people put their hand to doing the work next door that we could do Uh, to prepare. And then just recently, March 11th, 2017, after the Purim spiel, wasn't that a great time? We had the grand opening of the Shalom Center and the cafe next door. What a journey it's been. Thank you, Sandy, for keeping such good notes and, and sharing them with me. The Lord has given us more than we could ask or imagine. Not only do we have light, we have a beautiful lake. We have a parking lot that's mostly empty when we come, because we're here when none of the other uh, people in this whole uh, campus are present. And so we have a, a great campus to be on. We have a wonderful sound system, a great projection system. Aren't you grateful for the, the folks that run the computer and the projection system? Daniel is up there. Danny Sharkey, also known as Mordechai. We salute you. What a great Haman we had. What a great Mordecai we had. <laughs> yay, poo, yay. We've got beautiful furniture. We've got six classrooms, a nursery for the children, a bookstore, meeting rooms, office space, office equipment, open spaces, hospitality rooms, <coughs> three different kitchen spaces, 10 bathrooms. A cafe, grass, we have grass, (laughs) trees, outdoor spaces, a lake, decks overlooking the lake, a huge parking lot, considerate neighbors, and so much more. And many of you have given generously for the building up of the synagogue. We're grateful for your giving and all the Lord has given us. And as we're reading in the scriptures this week, and we're reflecting on this, how the craftsmen were doing the work of the sanctuary and building with excellence. And then there came that point where they said, everybody's brought so much, no more. Tell everyone not to bring any more for now. It said the people were restrained from bringing more material. There was sufficient, see, for all the work to be done. Well, friends, we're not yet able to say, be restrained. 
from giving for the work the Lord's given us? Because we know in order to keep growing as a community, in order to, to finish building out and furnishing everything that we have in mind, in order to take care of and even replace things over time because of the age and, and where, um, we want to encourage people who haven't been able to participate. Those of you that were giving in 2011, thank you so much. Those of you who gave throughout the period, who gave for the Take a Seat campaign, thank you so much. But there are some who weren't able to participate then but are able to participate now or in the future. And I want to encourage you. If your heart is stirred, you say, you know what? I want to invest in building the sanctuary of God, the temple of God, and building the place of God's gathering for the people, including the Shalom Center and so forth. There will be more to do. There's always more to do. It's like your house. God's house is the same. The tabernacle wasn't the last time that the house of God was built. It was the first time. It had to be built and rebuilt and continually taken care of. And that's the nature of, of such things. Well, I want to pray together that everyone whose hearts is, are moved would bring a Teruma offering during this season so that we can keep moving forward with blessing. We've, we've finished so much of the work next door, but there are a few more things we want to do. There'll be more things we want to do after that. Uh, I was thinking we're going to bake challah, right? Well, we need some good sheet pans, commercial size and quality. Little things like that. You might not think about if it were your house, you would think about it. But you can't just show up at an oven without the equipment that goes in the oven. Am I right? Yeah, no, sh- no pans, no challah. And then the dream is just a dream. Well, don't forget how you can be involved as a member of an Oneg team. You can be involved by learning to become a leader of an Oneg team. You can be involved by being a sponsor of Onegs. And you can connect with Tracy A. Bush uh, in order to find out more and to get involved in more ways for all these things. We're ready to use the Shalom Center frequently. Uh, regularly, constantly, not just for Onegs, but new ways of doing outreach and community building and fellowship together. And I want to encourage you, do your part. Don't be super spiritual and just think, oh, everything is like out there. That's, that's not going to cut it. Life with God is not just spiritual in the ether somewhere. It makes itself real and manifest in the world that we're living in. And in the same way that we're being built together as a spiritual house by being living stones built together, we become a dwelling place for God and a place where the Holy Spirit is welcome and can move because we are together. The Spirit of God manifests himself in this powerful way when we understand that God is not just the God of heaven, he's the God of earth as well. And he's come. He came down from heaven. He took on a human body in order to reveal himself in this world that we're living in to deliver us from every false theology that says God is just spirit out there. But he lives in you. He lives in us together. He manifests himself together with us. 
And this is the essence of the Torah portion that we're reading. The scripture selections that we read this week are so far-reaching and you know, some are, are so prophetic by their nature, Ezekiel and Revelation, that you could get bewildered uh, by some of the details. But I, I want to help you not be lost because the most important thing to remember is this. God wants to dwell among us. And that means we invite him and we make the dwelling place for him. That's our intention and that's our need. So I want to pray right now for that Lord be here with us. We welcome you. This is your house. It's only your house. It's not ours. It belongs to you. All that we give, all of our appreciation is directed to you. You are the one who dwells in this house. Without you, Lord, nothing matters. And with you, everything becomes important. And so we thank you, Lord, for all that you've given to us in Yeshua's name. Amen. As we're getting ready to close with Aaron's blessing, please rise. And parents, would you go immediately after the blessing and get your children from Shabbat school? And as you're standing up, and parents, if you have children in Shabbat school, one of you go and get them. some journals this week, I found something written in, uh, in August of 2014. And in a service one day, I was thinking about different good things that were happening in, the, in different families. Um, the Swansons, I think, were about to have a baby. And I was just thinking of all these great things. And this thought came to me, oh, that's good timing. And I felt very interrupted from that. And I really did feel the Holy Spirit say to me, it's not good timing, it's an appointed time. And then David asked me, I told him about this word, this, and he said, well, share that, you know, the following Shabbat, and I did. And as I spoke about it, I felt that it wasn't just that moment, that we're in an appointed time that's an at least an era, and I don't know how long an era is, but it's something like during the Jesus movement, the Jesus revolution, that this is an appointed time for appointed things, and that as you come into faith, as you come to be a stone, that your appointment is sure, and that each one of us are appointed for the work of the house of the Lord and the work of service. And that things only work properly if we do our parts. So this isn't just a momentary thing. The other thing that came with this word was that it's the other side of the coin. God's purposes are the good side of the coin, the bad side of the coin. It's all the things that are going wrong in the world today. And that we have to be doing our part to even begin some kind of balance or tikkun alone in this world. So that's, it just, when I read that, 
in my journal from 2014, I thought, and I read that it's not just for that day, that this is an era, that this is an appointed time, and it's not just a moment. It's a season. That's it's right. an era. That's right. And we are in it. That's good. Isn't that cool? That's great. Thank you, Sandy. Good, good word. Good word. Parents, get your kids. If you haven't already. Yivarechecha adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'era adonai p'navelecha v'yichonecha. Yisa adonai p'navelecha v'yisemlecha shalom. The Lord bless you and keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.